Hello and welcome to Just Football. We're, we're back after a little bit of a break. Well, hopefully, and I've got my fingers crossed because we tried to record an episode earlier in the week um, and our episode got deleted. So that's now been lost forever, um, unfortunately. But we are attempting again a few days later. So I've got myself, Dan S, hosting today. And I'm with Dave. Hello, Dave. Hey, Dan. How you doing? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Not too bad. A bit frustrated about the episode the other day, but that is life. We'll make this uh, a better one. We'll make this a better one. We haven't got um, Dan with us because he's um, jetted off around Europe somewhere um, yeah. doing some Christmas shopping. So, um, <laughs> again, um, but I expect him to bring us something nice back. So Absolutely. We'll, wait and, we'll wait and see. Um, so we're, we're going to go... It's going to be a bit of a weird one because we're going to go through a couple of the topics um, that we kind of discussed on the deleted episode and kind of re-go over um, some of those opinions again. And then we're going to go into some new elements. Um, what makes a change this week? We're actually recording at the end of a week, which means that we can touch up on, on some of the reaction of some of the European games and, and midweek games, which we don't usually do. So first headline I've got is... Um, this may seem like old news to everyone now, but it was only happened a few days ago, was the passing of Terry Venables, um, former England manager, um, former Tottenham manager as well, as, as well as of a host of host other clubs, which was announced on, on Sunday morning. Um, obviously very sad to hear. And, and as we kind of touched upon on Monday's discussion, kind of the manager that really got us excited about English football, um, during Euro 96. just I'm just watching Dave mess around with his microphone. Are you still there? I'm still here, yep. Yeah, still here. So what was your immediate reaction of the Terry Venables news? Well, I, I was really sad. And it's not... Um, for me, it's not anything to do with Tottenham being, him being a Tottenham manager. It's more when he managed England. When I look back at when I'm watching England and my and how I felt with him in charge, it was it was the most enjoyment I had as an England fan. Mm. Now I know with Southgate we got to a final, we got to semi-finals, but kind of like him, there seems to be no joy in the way we play football. Whereas with Venables, it's the last England manager I can truly say I enjoyed watching football. I enjoy watching England play football. Yeah, and that 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 and I think that tournament of Euro '96 came after quite a dry spell for England, didn't it? Because there was a World Cup just before that we didn't qualify for, and yep. we hadn't done very well in the few years before. So this felt like the first time a country was in. Well, it's the first tournament I really remember. But it felt like the first time we were excited about being in a tournament again, and. And to be fair, we we should have we were the best team in that tournament. We we should have won it if not through. And you you said exactly this on on Monday's recording is if it wasn't you know a few inches here and there, you know Gaza sliding in, Darren Anderson hitting the post. Um, you know there were some very close moments, and we should have got. Well, we should. I think we should have won the tournament. I I, I couldn't agree more. And you think the way we played, particularly the two games that stand out for me in the tournament, and they were. Well, it was because there were England matches. We had the England-Scotland match where Gaza scored that goal. 
Yes, that goal. And that's that, that's how good that goal was because we describe it as that goal. Exactly. Yeah, it, it, unbelievable. I mean, moments before we had the seaman save, we got the other end and Gascoigne brilliance. It is rare you'll see anything like that, particularly that level of football uh, and in a match that intense. Yeah, and the, 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 the decimation of Holland as well in, in that tournament. Exactly, yeah. And then... Um, Sorry, Dan, I wasn't saying if you pull you're on six, brilliant express, but if you couple that with the three lines on the shirt sole as well, by uh, Badil and Skinner, which came out the same yeah. year, yeah, that whole tournament, that whole feeling, and because it was a home tournament, it felt amazing. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting, is it, because the last Euros tournament was mostly held in England, um, with a few games sort of across Europe, but it didn't feel special. I guess, like, whereas the Euro 96 one really felt special. And maybe it's because, you know, I'm, I'm in my teens at that point. So maybe it's just a bit, it feels a bit more exciting because you're younger, but it definitely seemed like it gripped the nation a bit more. Yeah, because now, now you're older and more cynical. <laughs> yes, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yes, the both of those things. But the interesting thing about Terry Venables in England, he was that because we didn't really, ha we didn't have a qualifying campaign um, the, on the lead up to our tournament because we yeah. were the hosts. So he was only actually manager for 23 games, which that doesn't feel quite right, does it? It doesn't feel right. It should have been longer. But yeah. I think what also helped was he was charismatic. Yes. Uh, you look at his successes, McLaren, uh, Svenjorn Eriksson, Fabio Campello, and, and now Southgate. It's also drab. And you want... You want that feeling of excitement and to enjoy football. Yeah. Whereas I think England are quite, I don't know what they are now, but they're not, they're not good or enjoyable to watch. The thing is, they've got the players now to be exciting. And I think one of my friends kind of said, that I just sometimes wish that Gareth Southgate would take, take the reins off and just let them go yeah. um, and, and, and stop holding them back. Um, so, yeah, so... Yeah, I, I do agree on that point. But just to mention that he, uh, Terry Venables played for four different clubs. So he played for Chelsea, Tottenham, QPR and Palace. Um, and he had manager stints at Palace, Queen's Park Rangers, Barcelona, which is obviously quite a, a big deal, wasn't it? And he was there when Gary Lineker was there, I believe. I might, I might have got that wrong. Uh, right. Tottenham. Lineker top, was top, top, Yeah. Um, then Tottenham Hotspur, where he was the last manager to win the FA Cup with Tottenham uh, in 91. Uh, then he moved on to England. Uh, Australia, he managed for a little while. Then Crystal Palace, Middlesbrough um, and Leeds. Um, and he hasn't managed since 2003. So that's a good 20 years ago. Um, so yeah, it's a big, um, big news in the football world. And I think for people in our generation, obviously a big name um, with regards to the England game. Um, then we move on to the other big news. And again, we, we kind of hashed over this a little bit was what's happened at Everton. So while we've had our little bit of a recording break, Everton have been found guilty of a financial fair play regulation, have been deducted 10 points um, in the league, which has now moved them into the relegation zone. So what were your thoughts on that? It's, I'm probably getting offensive. Honestly. I mean... When we recorded, was it Monday we, we originally recorded? Yeah. Um, I was very much, yes, Everson deserve it, but just a little bit more, not, not 
refine this more research to be fair uh, I, I guess i understand why i mean the they i think they breached by 19 million pounds i mean yeah. to, to you and i that's a lot of money to a business but not a lot obviously rules are there in place i, I think what the the unprecedented element is is the is the 10 points uh, 10 point deduction yeah um, that being said, however, I mean, obviously last season, Everton survived on the last day, and I believe, was it Ducure who scored, Mark scored, the winner that kept them up? He was signed as part of that three-year period uh, when they breached the rules. So from a, from a fan perspective, I can I sympathise with the Everton fans. From a business perspective, I, I have less sympathy. I think the yeah. problem is... I don't believe this has happened in the Premier League in terms of FFP. Also, this is the first time it's happened. And should we expect the same or similar to other clubs if they were to breach again? Yeah. Yeah, agreed. It's, to me, and I maybe I just don't have a history of it, but to me, this felt like this came around quickly, was dealt with quickly, and the punishment was dealt quickly. Um, and maybe it's, it's been a bit longer than that. Um, but the 10 points does take them into a relegation zone. I feel like it's early enough that they've got time to play their way out of it. If you sure. know, this was announced in February, March, they, they they might have a bit more to do. But it does depend if it's 10 points is the end um, of it because there is also troubles, aren't there, with the other other clubs that kind of were sent down as a result of Everton succeeding. Um, yep. And they've kind of, they're suing um, as well, um, which is, you know, if the 10 points is the end, I think they might be all right. Um, but, we don't know. Um, and I say they might be all right. And that's partly because I think there's a load of other clubs down there which are really bad um, <laughs> as well. So it might, it might give Everton the chance to, to stay up, but we're, we'll see. Any, and I know I mentioned this on Monday, and maybe I don't quite know all the history of it, but I also find it unfair, whereas Man City have got 115 cases against them and they're allowed to compete in events where they can win major tournaments and then have these moments that doesn't sit quite right with me it feels like they should almost be held back until this investigation's finished but that's just my personal opinion yeah i i do agree so for everton i believe they are they had until today to appeal which i believe they're going to appeal the 10 points and from yeah. there a further more ruling might happen so it might they get more points or reduced uh yeah uh points deduction it might not get anything I suppose for the Manchester City case, it's going to be far more complex. See, Everton is one charge, uh, yeah. million over three years. So obviously Man City is 115 charges over a period of time, which is going to take a lot of time to sort out and identify. And if they are found guilty, which I suspect most people who aren't Man City fans think they're guilty already, uh, the punishment will be far, far more severe than, than 10 points. You do wonder if it'd be similar to the Rangers type punishment where they got booted down to the bottom league, didn't they? And had to kind of work their way back up again. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on, on the Everton one as well, one of the reasons and why this, um, I noticed this was because it was around Tottenham is Everton. One of their reasons they claimed was because when they sold Rich Sarlison, Rich Sarlison, um, I can't say his name, um, 
they sold him to Tottenham for 60 million, but they actually budgeted 80 million and almost blamed Tottenham for buying him cheaper. And I was like, we'll just say no. <laughs> don't say it. I just don't. It's like it's like blaming someone for buying a house cheaper, isn't it? It's, you, you can't you can't do that. But that they said that was part of the reason that might explain the 20 million gap. Um, might do, but Everton agreed to the sale, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. Therefore, and and it's. It's also interesting as well because also between Everton and Tottenham is this Deli Alley um, deal as well. So Deli Alley went um, a couple of years ago now, but it was deemed there's a clause in the contract that when he reaches 20 appearances, um, Everton have to pay Tottenham a further 10 million. And they're trying to renegotiate that deal to kind of let them, let them off for 10 million so Deli Alley can start playing again when he's fit. But I think Tottenham have been less, more reluctant to do it now after the blame on the Richarlison deal. So are Everton just blaming Tottenham for their own issues? That's what it kind of feels. I don't, like. I don't know if blaming is the right word. It's hard to when you read newspapers and clickbait and stuff like that. There's often a narrative formed, but there is those two elements against them at the moment where they're going to owe Tottenham 10 million when they play Deli Alley and I think it's a further five or six times. So they, they probably just won't play him, but try and sell him. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, the Richarlison deal. And I think they've got a cheek to, to turn around and say that Richarlison's worth 80 million after the two years he's just had at, at Tottenham <laughs> and scoring like three league goals or whatever it is. I think, I think they should refund us the rest of the money, to be honest. Yeah, it's not going to happen, but... Yeah, it's not a 60 million strike at the moment. Not at the moment, but, you know, things can change. You never know. Yeah, exactly. Um, other thing, uh, so moving on for Everton, the other thing that happened in Monday's episode, which obviously has been lost in lost in the digital space somewhere, is a friend of the show, Lord Joey Fitz, um, asked us a couple of questions. Um, and I think we've got the recording, so I think we can put it in. I don't know if you're going to put it into this part now. I'll, or whether you're going to do it after the episode. I'll probably do it after the episode. Okay. So so question one was around the um, our beginning of season predictions, which he listened to the episode. And all three of us apparently, and I haven't fact-checked this, all three of us said that Aston Villa wouldn't qualify for Europe this season. And he asked, now that we've had a bit of a season and now we're partway in, do we still feel the same or do we feel differently? I'll let you answer first. Yeah, I'll, let me answer on behalf of myself and Dan P. Yeah. Uh, so for myself, my position has not changed. Uh, I'm not doing any backtracking. I still don't think they'll qualify for Europe. Although they're doing well in Europe at the moment. So it might be they qualify not necessarily through the league, but perhaps through uh, European competition they're playing at the moment, which is something I forgot. Is it Europa League? It's a conference one. Conference it's, the, it's the one below, yeah. I think there's a good chance they could actually qualify through that. So good luck to them. And perhaps we could talk about um, what happened with Legia Warsaw as well, um, which is really bad. Uh, and Dan P said he's sure he put them to qualify for Europe. And he also said on Monday that they would also win the league. <laughs> but we'll never know if that's true or not. No, exactly. Um, I, I, my answer to that question is: I think I'm going to backtrack slightly because I felt like Chelsea and Man United were both going to start off better than they have. 
Um, I think the real test for Aston Villa is when they start, if they start hitting some injury problems um, to their squad, because I don't think they've got the biggest of squads. Um, so, you know, if they have to deal with that, but then we'll have to see. But I think they will qualify for Europe on the basis. I don't think Chelsea will now. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, hopefully they will. I think if if Ollie Watkins gets injured, I think they will struggle. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do like Emery. I mean, he wasn't great at Arsenal, as I said before, but he's an incredibly good coach. You don't win European yeah. trophies by being rubbish. So um, I've got I've got no right. ill will or hard feelings toward him. Sometimes with managers and clubs, they just don't fit, even though both entities are quite good. And I think Aston Villa and Emery have just found a hit a sweet spot, and I think they're a good good combination. Yeah, agreed. It's just like a Richarlison and Tottenham. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, not, not, not a good combination. <laughs> um, the other question he asked was around after the Tottenham-Aston Villa game. So as a quick recap, um, Tottenham, after going 1-0 up to Aston Villa, um, then went on to lose 3-1 or 2-1? 3-1. Was it 2-1? I think it's 2-1, yeah. 2-1. Uh, so they went on to lose. Um, I don't want to talk about the game because it will just annoy me. Um, I felt like Tottenham probably deserved more than they got. Um, but if you don't take chances, you don't take chances. Um, but one of the questions he asked was about Hummin Sun um, and him being captain of Tottenham Hotspur and did we think that he should be captain? My question, and on top on Tottenham and its captaincy, Hugo Lloris before the season has been captain for the last few years. I never really agreed with Hugo Lloris being captain. I thought he was the wrong choice and I think he's there kind of through length of time and, and service to the club. I think Son has been made captain for, for similar reasons. Um, so he has been with the club a long, long time. And as a captain by, you know, leader by doing good things, I think he's he's quite good. But I think there's better captain material in the team. And I, I've watched James Madison join the team and the, the way he behaves and not just his football ability, but the way he gets the team together and, you know, comes across, I feel like he should be our captain at the moment. And Son is a bit more of a silent leader. And I think Tottenham needs someone a bit more, a bit more than that. Do you want to add some thoughts to that? Sure, yeah. I don't think Son should be captain at all. Uh, it's not because I don't like him as a player. As a player, he's a wonderful player. Brilliant player to watch. He's got a lot of energy. He's quite effervescent in the way he plays. But he doesn't need the captain captaincy burden on top of him. Yeah. Uh, in my opinion of a captain, it should be a player who can see the whole pitch, so toward the back of the pitch, like a, a midfielder or a defender. I wouldn't actually advocate a goalkeeper as being a captain. So I think they need to be more on the pitch. But uh, from a Tottenham perspective, yeah, you've got Madison. I wouldn't put Madison either as captain. But uh, I guess I'm not... I'm not close enough, obviously, to Tottenham to say this is who who should be the captain. I would possibly look at maybe Van der Ven when he's back fit. Yeah. Not Romero. <laughs> he's our vice captain at the moment. So James Madison and Romero are what we class as vice captains. I've never seen us announce vice captains before, but yeah, they were announced at the start. Interesting. Okay. Um so yeah, so that is the answer to that question. So the answer is, uh, 
I don't mind him as captain, but I think I'd rather have someone like Madison, um, who seems to be more of a leader and more bringing the team together. Yeah. And um, whereas, yeah, sorry, does I say let Son play football? That's what he's good at. Yeah. Let him do it. And I also think Son's got a few more things on his shoulders as well. So he's obviously almost like an ambassador from the area of the world where he's from, um, yeah. representing um, in the Premiership. Like you said, I don't feel like he needs this to elevate his profile. Um, it doesn't really add to his game um, and just let him sit back and do what he does best. But yeah, that's my opinion. Um, elsewhere in the news, uh, Women's uh, Nation, is it Nation League or National League um, is taking place at the moment. So the England team have just met up. Beth Mead has made a return to the England squad, which is which is good to see after a year out. Yeah, definitely. She, I mean, she was second in the Ballon d'Or. She scored twice for Arsenal the other day in her first start. Yeah, she did. Um, incredible player. I think England, yeah. they've had, uh, they've started of late. I think she'll be uh, very much welcome back. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, so, yes, that's good to see. Um, but now, as I said at the start, we're recording on Friday, so we've got all the results from the um, European Games midweek. And England, England teams have actually had a very good week um, in in Europe. Um, so of the, how many teams we've got? Five, six, seven, eight, eight teams playing in Europe. I find it hard to believe we've got eight teams in Europe and Tottenham aren't one of them. But it's um, eight, hard. <laughs> eight, 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 <laughs> eight. No, it's more than eight, isn't it? You got Villa, four in the Champions Brighton, League. West Ham. Arsenal, United, City, and Newcastle. One, two, three, four, five. It's eight. It is eight. Yeah. So of the eight teams that played in Europe, seven of them won. Um, so Aston Villa beat Legia Warsaw 2 1. Liverpool not, beat. Not all that, man. So Newcastle and Man United didn't win. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I'll take it back. Sorry. Sorry. Six, six of the teams won. So yeah, Newcastle and Man United both drew, didn't they? Sorry. I've written, I've written it down wrong. So Aston Villa beat Legia Warsaw 2-1, Liverpool beat LASK 4-0, Brighton beat AEK Athens 1-0. Um, I think that means all three of those teams qualify, along with West Ham, who beat a team I've never heard of, Baka <laughs> Tapola, Baka Tapola 1-0. Arsenal walloped Lons 6-0. Um, and I think that puts them through top of the group, doesn't it? It does indeed. Um, Galatasaray... Uh, and Man United drew free all, but Man United were leading um, in, in that game. City beat Leipzig 3-2, um, but Leipzig were actually 2-0 up um, during that game and City pulled it back. And then we have PSG scoring a 98th minute penalty to level with Newcastle um, and a lot of debate about the penalty decision in that game, which was given, given as handball um, so it just shows that some of these decisions and refereeing decisions is also happening in Europe and not just um, in the Premier League. It was the, I mean, for me personally, I thought this, the decision was scandalous. Yeah. But from what I understand, the rules when you play European competition for handball are different to the Premier League. Which shouldn't be the case because nope. that, that has been announced this week and I feel like that's wrong. It's it is completely wrong. I mean, part of me, when I look at Newcastle, when Newcastle played Arsenal and we had that sort of 
to me, it's still a farcical decision where the push wasn't given as a foul. I feel sorry for Newcastle. I really, really do. I mean, as an Arsenal fan, I should be laughing at Newcastle, but as a football fan, it's just wrong. Really, really is wrong. Yeah. But what we did see is the following night, uh, when Arsenal played uh, Lowell's, something very, very similar happened where the ball came off, I think it's Kai Havertz's thigh, went onto his arm. It was a VAR check, but it wasn't given as a penalty. But I think that was a sub as a subsequent reaction to what happened with the Newcastle match. And that, that's the difference in the rule, isn't it? Because I think UEFA came out and said, if it comes off your player and rebounds, not your player, if it comes off yourself and rebounds onto your arm, but it's not handball, hmm. which is exactly what Newcastle were penalised for. Yeah. Um, so actually UEFA came out really quickly and kind of said, but actually this is a rule. I don't think they actually came out and said actually the decision was wrong. They just kind of contradicted the decision by right. by re-emphasising the rule. Um, so yeah, so it's a bit unfair, and yeah, I get the point about Arsenal being hard done by by a Newcastle decision a few weeks ago. Um, but also, the, these are like Champions, you know, Newcastle, who are a club who haven't been in the Champions League for a long time, and they're one nil up against one of the best teams in the world away. You know, they've, they've been robbed of like a, a massive, massive result, and not just three points in a group, but one one that their fans will remember. And it's just. Um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I genuinely feel sorry for Newcastle fans, especially for those who travelled and to see that happen on the last minute. But for football in, in general, it was wrong. And yeah. I, I still don't see a rationale to why it was given. Yeah. And even if it hadn't bounced off the guy's leg, it still didn't look like handball. It no, looked, not at all. Because then the decision would be that if the arm was in an unnatural position and it wasn't it, it was just he was kind of running and it was where you would expect it to be it, you do wonder if there are pressures somewhere to make certain groups or matches last a little longer you know make it go to the sixth round of matches to you know something to play for rather yeah. than i think man city qualified arsenal qualified there's, there's nothing to play yeah. for now um, yeah. To, to give it that continued excitement and draw the crowds in. Yeah, it's it's odd, and you know we we say it every single week, and you know one game we didn't touch upon is the Wolves game on Monday night, but the level of refereeing and the use of VAR has just got so bad, um, and I've yet to see any, anyone say that they're going to do something about it and give a light at the end of the tunnel. I think. To us, that that's one of the, my biggest issues is there's a lot of people talking about complaining, well, complaining about the way VAR is being used or the way, you know, the standard of refereeing. A lot of people who've got power, so those in the media, those ex-football footballers, those who are pundits, they could do something about it. They could try and help. But you don't see anyone offering to do that. Yeah. And I think that's probably part of the problem yeah yeah and the, th the thing is with pundits as well like you definitely see pundits analyze matches and decisions and mainly around red card decisions i think this is where a lot of the debate is is where they all they all disagree with each other so actually getting pundits involved is not always going to be the answer to the question because they all have different opinions but what i find with the pundits now they're so extreme 
with their opinion that they, they say something like it's fact yep. and i so i sometimes think it's um and there was an interesting one in the in the tottenham game a few weeks ago where romero got sent off um in that penalty decision and gary neville the way he reacted um was so extreme that romero should get sent off and someone asked i wonder if they are get that that audio because that can start i'm not saying it shouldn't have been a red card i think it probably should have been but it does begin to sway decisions um with, with the way that some of these pundits react yeah i think you're right i mean me personally i've got no problem with romero being sent off send him off no, every, either way. send him off every match is fine <laughs> that's oh. not quite what i'm saying <laughs> yeah but I, I i don't think the romero foul was as bad as what gary neville made it out is, is i guess is what i'm trying to say yeah but so the way the way the player reacted made if if a vr had heard that commentary kind of makes a decision for them well yeah i, th- I think what we need to remember is gary neville uh jamie carragher mark lowen they're all kind of involved with uh, var pgmol and howard webb so they've done programs with him in the past they have a relationship already so it could well be they are you know helping bar and pgmol because they, they have changed their position on certain decisions in the past i mean the mike Lowen does this show with howard webb which is just nonsense it is i don't think michael owen's a white man to be doing that show if i'm honest i completely agree he looks like he's won a raffle ticket to appear on a tv show he, he shouldn't be yeah. there there's just nothing it's so staged and manufactured and yeah. no one asks or challenges i i almost feel like you need someone to take the piers morgan approach in and i don't like piers morgan and i know you don't like piers morgan mm. but i feel like we need someone like him there to kind of really challenge for answers yeah i, I agree i mean i like the idea it's just the way it's yeah the way it's carried out is is or executed is poor yeah but, but it could be more to leverage it ultimately is probably where, you, where you're saying um things are more extreme it is to get likes and hits on social media as well to get that interaction reaction and raise your yeah. profile which i think yeah. is what's happening with howard webb as well he's trying to raise his profile hey let's do a tv thing and yeah. make us look uh, better than we are. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, so yeah, so yeah, so I guess in in summary, we we still haven't seen an endpoint or a light at the end of a tunnel with with some of this stuff. But no. there has been there has been, and one of the things we're going to go on to, and one of the things I think is ruining the game at the moment is the amount of red cards. And I sometimes don't think that the the punishment fits the crime. And we've we've said that a few times before with like penalty decisions. Like if if you take the Newcastle conceded penalty in to PSG, even if that was handball, doesn't feel like the punishment fits the crime. It it Yeah. And red cards is another one with we're getting lots of more red cards than we are, and it's ruining games. And the games don't feel bad or dangerous or there's a lot of fouls going on yeah it feels as though they're trying to clamp down maybe again this is where the pgmol are trying to it's perhaps clamp down on behavior or anything else and that's where some of the challenge or challenges and issues arise because i've not really there have been some bad tackles but bad tackles we haven't seen players sent off for 
Yeah. It's more the yellow cards. And actually, what I was going to suggest is, anyone who's listening, we did a uh, collaboration with Casting Views, didn't we, a while back, about what would we change about football? And one of my suggestions was get rid of penalties. Because where the punishment yeah. doesn't fit the crime, if you found the area, why should you get a penalty for it? Why not be a free kick? In, yeah. in that and, and some of the times now, is it's a penalty and the red card. Yeah. Like we're getting to stage where you're being punished twice um, for, and you know, it definitely affects the game, but I feel like, I don't know what the stats are on penalties, but it feels like we've had more penalties this year. Tottenham haven't had one yet, by the way, just thought I'd mentioned that, but. Well, um, yeah, also have, and I think most of them are today's standard are penalties, but there's ones I'll still say they're not a penalty. So the one against Tottenham, that wasn't a penalty for me. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. And yeah, it shouldn't make a score deficit. That shouldn't be the punishment. Great. Yeah. Um, but it is what it is. But on the on the red card thing, and you know, step off red cards. There's been mentioned, or we'll, we'll thought we'd talk about this for a little bit while is is about sin bins being introduced into football. Um, so obviously, quite a common thing in ice hockey where a player gets taken off into a sin bin for a period of time. Um, and they're looking to introduce this into football. Now, what I didn't realise until I just read up on it is that they, they introduced it into all levels of grassroots football from 2019 and 20, uh, 2019 and 2020 season. And it's now up to step five in the National League. And it's up to tier three in, in the women's game. And I believe it's been a success. Um, and the idea is, I did have some facts and figures here, but I haven't got it on me. Um, but the idea is, is that a player, rather than gets booked for descent, they will get sent into the sin bin for, for 10 minutes as, as a punishment. Um, for, and for things like tactical fouling as well. Um, I was just trying to read up the scope of what people get put in a sin bin for, but I can't find it. But what are your initial thoughts on, on the concept of it? I, I like the idea because I, I was already aware of sin bins in sort of the non-league uh, area. I do have some questions and concerns and thoughts, but I always do. One of them is around goalkeepers. So if you had your goalkeeper simbed, what <laughs> happens? Uh, they, I, I don't know what the rules are on that, but it'd be interesting to find out. But they, they've got to be exempt, haven't they? Yeah, so I believe so what they've also done in... No, I think they, should, they shouldn't be exempt. Otherwise, well, why should they be treated any differently to other players? Unless you bring on a temporary sub. Well, that's it. So I, I know some non-league, I think, do, do rolling subs. Yeah. So you could actually, if your goalkeeper gets simbined, you, you sacrifice the player and bring on your temporary goalkeeper. And then the, once that period of time has elapsed, then your, your main goalkeeper comes back on. Yeah. Um, then could, could you get to the point where you're playing eight versus seven because people have been simbined? How do you keep track of time for all these different players? Uh, where do they go and sit? Do they go and sit? In, in, in ice hockey, they go and sit somewhere else away from their team. Yeah. Would you need that for um, football? I mean, I, I can understand why it works for non-league. I really do. I think it gives that 10-minute you know, uh, time to, for a player to sort of calm down. I don't know how it'd work in the Premier League. 
it will be interesting. Obviously, we do need to know more details. Yeah. One of the points there, you said, I think they should going to have to sit opposite to their subs bench on the on the other side, so they don't get to talk to their manager or their team when it happens. Yeah, and silent. Yeah, yeah, and don't get any tactical help. And yeah, it will be interesting. My concerns would be that it throws even more consistency into the inconsistency into the game and on the decisions, um, and it slows down the game even more than what our current refereeing is currently doing. But if it reduces red cards, I think that would be a good thing. I think so. And then, yeah, I mean, would you, again, it's a consistency, would a referee in one match, you know, uh, Simbin and Plaid for the next match, for the same offense, they wouldn't do it. Yeah. And there's, there's some things, like if I think about um, Tottenham had a player sent off for Luton, I've forgotten, was it Basuma or Udogi? I can't remember which one it was. Udogi? But he, Udogi, he, so he got sent off the second booking was a for diving, and he definitely dived. For things like that, I think a sin bin would be a more suitable punishment than mm. being sent off. I don't think that's a sending off offence. It's definitely worthy of a yellow card, but it's the second yellow is a bit more... Do you know what I mean? The second yellow is a bit more of a severe punishment, and having that as an option of sin bin rather than sent off, I think would be quite good. Yeah, I think that's where I can see the advantage of sin bins. My... Yeah. My concern is whether it happens now with referees or not. So in the NBA, every week they're told to focus on certain areas of fouling. In basketball, you can fouls for multiple things, but they're told to focus on traveling or focus on um, double dribble or something. Yeah. If that was, that could happen in Premier League as well. So one match they focus on descent. Because they yeah. started descent at the start of the season, that's been dropped off. Now, how would Reb start to say, how should you focus on descent again? Do we get the same thing for other types of fouls? Is it, you know, yeah. fouling or time wasting? Yes, in mean for time wasting, for example. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, what agreed. constitutes time wasting? Who decides that? Yeah, and that's a problem, isn't it? It's where you fall into the grey areas where it's someone's opinion rather than factual. It's all, yeah, football is, a lot of it is subjective. Yeah. Um, so the other thing that came out this week as well is about expanding the use of VAR to different decisions. So at the moment, we know that it's for offside, red card offences and, and goal, seeing of a goal stands. But they're talking about increasing that a little bit to include things like yellow cards. Um, uh, there was something else as well, which I, I can't remember what it is. To my immediate opinion to that is get it right for the first things that you've in, in, interjected for before you even think about doing for things like yellow cards. I could not agree more. I think we, we are saying football is getting a lot, a lot of things wrong. Get those right, then look at other things next. Yeah. Uh, we're, not getting, we're, doing, we're not doing the basics with VAR. We're not doing the basics with refereeing. There's no way they should be considering adding anything else. Yeah. Some of the ideas I like, but one of my other concerns is if you want to introduce VAR, more areas and elements of the game, the game's going to last two hours. Yeah. They were obviously talking about, um, so one of the things that come out of it was semi-automated offside decisions. So if they get that right, I think it would speed up some decisions because some of the offside reviews are absurd, something that should be factual. Is Honestly, it's brilliant in the Champions League. We, we saw it in the World Cup. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, it, I hope... it, so as to say, it cuts off, or cuts out a lot of debate 
uh, about yeah. what is and what isn't offside. Yeah, you agreed. And obviously, we're having you know debates about where the line is drawn. And I saw an offside decision which looked at six replays before they even drew the line on. And I'm just thinking, why did you not do that to start with? It's just yeah it's, and, yeah, it's, it's not good. Then you look at the lines and think, well, actually, they don't look in line with the, the way the pitch has been uh, mowed. Yeah. So have they ca- yeah. calibrated it properly? Or, or maybe the lawnmower is crooked. Yeah, it could we, be. We don't know, do we? <laughs> I mean, was, most fans probably have more faith in the groundsman than uh, <laughs> yeah, one, uh, probably, It's probably true. Right, I've been conscious of time, so we're going to move on to our challenge this week. Are you ready? Go on, then. So, in memory of Terry Venables, I've gone for a Euro 96 um, related memory game. Mm. Um, that year, he was able to pick 22 men into his squad. I would like to know how many you could name. And I don't know what the success criteria could be. Do you reckon seven, 16? 16 is a. Can we go with five? Five, not five of us, and you name five <laughs> players. We've probably spoken about five players in this in this thing. Yeah, go on then. Let, well, six, six, 16 is success criteria, so you're allowed to miss out six. So let's go. Who have you got? Uh, Tony Adams. Tony Adams is correct. David Seaman. Is also correct. Excellent. It's a good start. I think that might be the... Only Arsenal players. Uh, Paul Gascoigne, who we mentioned him earlier. Paul Gascoigne is also correct. Alan Shearer. Alan Shearer, yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Teddy Sheringham. Brilliant player, yeah. Yeah. Uh, current England manager. And famous penalty miss. <laughs> yes, and then he's, he went on to do an advert as well, didn't he? Pizza, Pizza Hut advert with Waddle and Stuart Pearce, wasn't it? Yeah, and thank yeah. you, the Stuart Pearce is another one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> Damn it. Um, Go on. Your favourite Tottenham player of all time, Sol Campbell. Yes. He's in the squad. Is <laughs> um, yeah. is. True, but um, he's not my favourite football yeah. player of all time. But carry on. Gareth, uh, no, I've already said Gareth Southgate. Uh, Gary Neville. Yeah. David Platt. David Platt, yeah. I think he was at Arsenal as well at that time. He was at Arsenal at that time, yeah. Really good player. Um, but... Paul Lentz. Yeah. How many have I got? For, uh, 11. And weirdly, you've got the squad numbers 1 to 10 as well. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is pretty... Um... So that's probably their, their, start, their initial starting lineup. You, I think you've pretty much cracked apart from one player. Darren Anderton. Yeah, that's number eleven. Well done. That's the starting lineup. Amazing, amazing. I like Darren. Good. Just, I like Anderton. He's, he's a good player. Got a starting lineup, and he, he hit the post in that Germany game, didn't he? Do you remember? He did, yeah. Yeah, I remember it well. 
painful. Yeah. Um, was Phil Neville? Was he? He was in the squad. Yeah, he'd only got one cap at the time, but he was in the squad age nineteen. Oh, it makes me feel really old. Uh, so I was probably around. I was probably similar age, to be fair. Seventy-seven. He was born in. He's older than me then. That's good. <laughs> um, how many more do I need? Uh, need. So what have you got? You've got 11, 12, 12, 13. You need another three players to make the 16. Okay. Uh, Mick Steve Manaman. Yeah. You said you started that with Nick, didn't you? No, no, Steve. Uh, Mick. Mick. Oh, I see. He went on to play for Real Madrid. He did. Robbie Fowler. Correct. Do you need one more to make the 16? I've said Sheringham, haven't I? You've said Sheringham, yeah. Redknapp, Jamie. Yes. He only, I think he actually only made one appearance in that tournament, which was, and the only thing I remember him doing is squeezing the water bottle uh, into Gazza's uh, <laughs> face in the celebration. Oh, the dentist chair celebration. The dentist chair celebration, yeah. Uh, do you want to have a go at any more, or do you want me to reveal who you've missed out? If, no, you, you, you give me the list. So you had Steve Howie. Play for Newcastle. Never got that one. Uh, Tim Flowers, obviously reserved oh, goalie. Um, Nick Barmby, played for Middlesbrough at the time. Did he really? Interesting. Yeah. Now, someone who didn't get, probably didn't play for England as much as he probably should have done is Les Ferdinand as well, played for Newcastle oh, at the time. Les. So Les. So he was at age 29 going into that tournament, but only actually had 10 caps at the time. So obviously not as much as we would have thought. Steve Stone, um, Nottingham Forest, yeah, yeah, Nottingham Forest. Um, and the last one was famous Tottenham goalkeeper Ian Walker. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. So, well done, congratulations on on getting this challenge. So, I think that brings us to the end of our show. Is there anything else you'd like to mention? Uh, for me, I hope Dan P's having a great time wherever he is. Thank you again to Lord Joey for his uh, input. We'll, we'll add it to the his episode. And what I might do is I might make it as a special bonus as well for his bit only. Yeah, that yeah, way that's a good idea. people have got a choice. And uh, finally, from me, um, check out the Good Earth Band. Uh, they released their single yesterday, um, which had been the day before the first of December, fourth day, first of November. Cool. Thank you very much. And for me, um, fingers crossed that this episode uploads uh, so we, we get it live. Um, but hopefully speak to you all next week. Indeed. A quick correction, though. I must admit it's the 30th of November, not 31st. Oh. i you didn't pull me up on that. but No, I didn't, didn't clock it. That's all good. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so thanks for all for listening. <laughs>